take your inspiration and boil it down into the highest value track possible and reveal an entire science behind writing tracks that serve a purpose, that have this intrinsic value and magnetism. Welcome to the Gig Boss Podcast, where musicians go to learn how to navigate the new music economy. My name is Adam Meckler, and it's my mission to get you the tools to have a thriving career in music. And to that end, today we've got Graham Barton on the show. Graham Barton is the author of Tracks That Sync, a book on how to prepare your music for sync licensing. So that is commercials, we're talking ads on socials, we're talking TV shows and movies. I've referenced this book a bunch of times on the podcast before, particularly in the episode with Tess Nyberg, who is a marketing creative director who chooses music for ads. I talked to Tess about what kind of things she's looking for in sync, and I wanted to talk to somebody who is in that scene and does that as their thing. Graham Barton also runs a company called Sync Beast, where he just basically coaches people on their track making and how to get those tracks properly prepared for sync and then connects people to sync licensing agencies. So he's really great with that stuff. Before we get there, I just want to talk to you about the Gig Boss app. It is free on iOS and Android. It's a way to create your own groups, create events, and track all your groups. You have a scrolling chronological feed of gigs. You can click on a square, see all the details of the gig, how much it pays, whether or not you've been paid. Now you can click on the address and pull up Uber or Lyft or Google Maps. You can click on a phone number to text or email anybody else in the band. There's all kinds of convenient stuff coming. We've got more stuff in the works. Check it out. It's free on iOS and Android. It's a great way to start tracking your finances and your schedule with your crazy gig life. I know it's nuts because I do it. Without further ado, Graham Barton. Graham, thanks so much for being on the show, man. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me, Adam. It's a pleasure. Awesome. So I'm curious about your background. I read in your book, did you like start a thrift store or something like that and ran that for a little while until you kind of yeah, got up and running? Yeah, dude. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's kind of this interesting piece of the the puzzle that is my journey into music licensing. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, I my name's Graham Barton. I'm a composer, producer, author, mentor. Yeah, holding it up. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, founder of... Founder of Sync Beast, premier music licensing mentorship for artists and composers, basically making Sync easy AF for people. But uh, yeah. yeah, as 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 you just mentioned, man, I I just released my first book on music licensing called uh, Tracks That Sync back in February 2022. Uh, yeah, since then I've got a, gotten a lot of great feedback on it. Um, started a lot of brand new relationships, new doors, you know, impacting people's lives and, and livelihoods and. Yeah, I really think that's, I believe that's what I'm truly here for, man, to, to impact people's lives by finding success in the music licensing space, not not managing a, a thrift store. Yeah, <laughs> as, right. As you, as you just mentioned. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, my my journey, What what is that like? Um, you mind if I tell you a, a little story, I guess? Yeah, I'd love to hear it, man. Mom? Cool. Um. You know, I won't take it too far back, but I had a I had a pretty interesting childhood growing up. I was, it was pretty much all sports, all music, all sports, all music, and I basically had to make the conscious choice to give up sports when I hit high school and and go all in on music for the next four years. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what I did. I spent a ton of time exploring. I was in jazz band. I had a grindcore metal band with my friends on the side. We'd play shows at skate parks and. 
I would do school concerts like every band kid does where you have to like dress up and uh, you know and then yeah I was, man I was, I was also in that yeah you were what'd you play oh well I got my you can see my flugelhorn in the background there, there. I got go. my I got my trumpet I'm a trumpet player primarily but I play guitar and keyboards and drums and bass and I do a lot of different stuff but yeah you, it sounds like you do it all bro that's awesome yeah you know working on it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, just just like you, among a, uh, I'm, I'm sure, uh, among a ton of other things that that kept me busy. You know, I, I gave guitar lessons to kids. I, I traveled around doing competitive drumline with my school. It was just a, this profound experience that I feel perfectly set me up for a career in writing music for ads and for TV. So yeah. fast forward a bit, I I went off to college, graduated with a, a BS in music production from a a really small music school that actually no longer exists. Hmm. Uh, it was it was called McNally Smith, and basically I like flew through three years of college. Dude, uh, I I I gotta say this. I didn't oh, realize yeah, I didn't realize you went to McNally. I taught there for five years. You after, did, bro. Yeah, when? <laughs> after probably after you were done, I would assume. But uh, like 2015, 2014, 2014 until it closed. Um, wow, dude. Yeah. yeah. So I left in when did I? phase out i think it was summer of 2012 so okay. i i blasted through three years so it was like 09 to 12 basically yep yep um that's cool man what what did you what did you teach well I'm, I'm I, I taught trumpet I, I took over for dave jansen who was teaching the fusion ensemble and trumpet yep. and so i did the yep. fusion ensemble i did trumpet and then i taught in the theory department i taught like ear training one two and three and and you know keyboard lab and that kind of stuff um I was part, I was like adjunct, you know, I was full-time player for the 10 years I was in Minneapolis. And so I was adjunct at a couple different universities and I was really building up. I was like starting to do the summer camps and I had designed a summer camp for these couple of Chinese schools where actually I was supposed to go on tour over there based on the relationships I had built through that right when the pandemic hit. We were supposed to be in China in May of, of 20, whatever that was, 2020. Dang. Uh, so you were like geared up. We were it. geared up, ready to go. I had this band, Nookie Jones. It's like an R&B, neo-soul thing. And uh, we were supposed to be over there. Anyways, dude, sorry to interrupt, but this is kind of funny. Oh I didn't gosh, realize please. you were a McNally no, guy. No, that, that's that's amazing. It sounds like you were uh, quite the asset there, man. It was, I, I had a great experience. I don't know about you, but I had yeah. a great experience at McNally. I thought it wasn't... It was just that happy medium of yeah. I mean, f first off, it's it's in the Midwest, so you're not you know it's not coastal at all, so it's a, a different demeanor, different kind of people. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't get a huge sense of competition. I didn't get this like huge you know. It, I mean that in the best way. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes competition, you know, especially at the collegiate level, can can be a bit overbearing. I, I felt like I was able to soak up as much as I could from those instructors. Yep. Um, and also stay in my own lane and collaborate. You know, I, I cut my teeth in a lot of ways um, doing what I do now in in, in school. You know what I mean? It's right. like just like in high school, I took every opportunity to dabble and essentially explore my options, right? And I would, I would produce like friends indie bands and I would record like a doom metal album and then I'd work in the school's recording studio. You know what I mean? And yeah. Then I'd just go back to my apartment and practice production obsessively. You know what I mean? It was, it was awesome. just like that all around experience but yeah so i mean i guess you know my my point is that i i stayed curious i think that's that's the experience i'm trying to describe i mm -hmm. always try new things new styles and techniques when i learned one i'd i'd kind of jump ship and try another and you know bother somebody else and see how they're doing something or you know what i mean yeah uh, 
because I, I felt like I already done it and I, I, I didn't I didn't necessarily have to stay in one stylistic lane when I was in school I could I could have the freedom to explore basically and versatility I, I learned is what I was truly after especially you know in my early 20s I, it served me well when it when it came time to actually show somebody in the industry what I could do. Yeah. You know what I mean by that? And and like when it comes down to sync, it's like being malleable and being able to kind of move from genre to genre in a really effortless way. Right. That's, that's essentially like a big part of, of writing music for function. 100%. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll stop you briefly. Pardon the, uh, the noise. My lawn guy just got here. It's all right. (laughs) That's all right. Perfect. I can't hear it actually. Okay, cool. Yeah. I got a pretty hefty gate. Pretty nice. hefty gate on this. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it, exactly, dude. Um, sync just requires so much malleability and uh, adaptability. You kind of have to kind of have to wear a lot of hats and wear a lot of disguises, you know? I, I like to... I liken it to uh, Sia's album, This Is Acting, um, you know, for, for a, a music reference, if you're familiar with that. She wrote a lot of songs for other artists, man. Um, yeah. Cheap Thrills. Cheap Thrills was a a Rihanna inspired song and I think at one point she ended up pitching it to her and it didn't land and she released it herself and it's a freaking banger dude so yeah. this is acting you know she was putting on a lot of these personas and stuff like that so I, I would I would definitely liken it to that you kind of have to kind of have to wear a, a lot of a lot of masks and, and hats yeah cool so dude I read your book um tracks that sync I've got it here I'm holding up for those of you watching on YouTube uh I, you know, I broke your rule. You were like, don't read this book cover to cover. Stop after each section. Practice what I say. You know what I mean? So I did go through. I was on a plane and I was just, I had a long, long trip and I was like, oh, whatever. I'm going to keep going. Um, but, you know, it's great. I love how you talk about um, limiting the tools in your sandbox. You know, you talk about like having a sandbox of toys. And if you've got an unlimited amount of toys, you're like, oh, what do I play with? Uh, but if you limit those things, then you can kind of unlock creativity. Can you talk about that aspect a little bit in, in your production? 100%, bro. Um, so, you know, it comes down to comes down to options right we we as creatives we like to explore we like to output as much as possible basically whether whether we feel compelled to do so whether we see a need that we're trying to fill like i don't have this music in my life i'm going to create it right Mm -hmm. there are so many outlets that we can explore and it seems more and more especially as technology gets better and better and better that you know the tools that are shoved in our face every Black Friday, the plugins, the software, the instruments. Whether you know, I, I think um, you know, I had two, I had two distinct phases in my life where I just went crazy over guitar pedals. You know, yeah. that's a great example. It's like I need to make music. I had a garage rock band at one point, and I needed different tools, so I just went all in, and I was like, I'm just gonna try all these things, and it ended up kind of blowing up in my face. You know what I mean? Hmm. And the same thing applies when it comes to being in the studio. The same thing. Uh, it, it applies uh, performing on stage. It applies when you're composing and writing music. You know what I mean? Yep. There are only so many things you can do while driving that car before you're going to crash, right? Hmm. And I think that's that's at the, you know, that's an analogy for the analogy that I used, uh, where it's you know you're a kid in a sandbox and you've got all these toys. It's like man, you're 
you're just never going to make anything. You know, you, you might do a lot of starting, but maybe not a lot of finishing. And I, I think that's the point that I really tried to get across with that. With that analogy, that, that creative analogy was, you know, the, as soon as I started, um, okay, so I, I dove into Splice, right? Everybody has their their sample libraries that they get stuff from. Uh, the first one, the first subscription one that I, I really tried was Splice, and I went crazy. I was like, click, 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 sample, sample. I could get this. I could, oh, I, I hear this. I could do that later. I was making folders. They were just getting bigger and bigger and more bloated, yeah. and I never touched them. You know what I mean? Like, yep. I would just work on what was in front of me. I'd forget about this idea. I'd forget about that sample, and all of a sudden, I was, you know, even speaking financially, I was just spending a bunch of money on samples. I was basically never going to use hmm. and i was doing it emotionally based on a notion right i was i was grabbing things for for the future thinking that like oh i might not have an idea later so i can grab this thing this tool this next thing to put on my belt and use it later and then i just never did so it really never hit me until i just canceled splice altogether i was like bro i got too much already yeah like i i am oversaturated with samples you know what i mean like yep. how many more d trap drum samples do i actually need before you know the 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 value curve just starts plummeting right so i yep. i apply that to the the same way with uh with creativity you know um yeah building a building a track having too many instruments if you have too many instruments it's going to overwhelm somebody you know scientifically humans can only realistically hear about five to eight things and actually describe them which is why mixing and music production is so cool because you can mask things in a certain way that sounds otherworldly you know mm. what i mean it's it's satisfying to the ear but Beyond that, especially in music licensing, you have multiple forms of media coming together, right? You've got music, mm -hmm. you've got visuals, so that's another sense that you're you're like putting into the mix. You've got maybe you're adding some sound effects and stuff for uh, just like a, an added feeling, you know, an added flair. So there's another sense that you're bringing in. So you've got all of these things. It's basically an onslaught if if there's just too much going on. Yeah, and you know really like I mean? the primary goal uh, at least with sync is 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 more visual than it is auditory right it's it's more about the the actual commercial and the and whatever they're promoting than it is about your music i, th I think I feel like you said that in the book too at one point like it's really not as much about your music as you think it is um and your point about uh a lot of starting and not a lot of finishing i feel like that kind of gets into into the perfection trap so we should talk about the perfection trap a little bit you, you talk about uh your book says you, you know one part it says tracks that sync sound authentic as fuck and good enough is good enough or don't get stuck in the perfection trap when your track could be making you money so how do you find that balance between uh good is good enough and authentic is fuck totally totally so um you know i i think you know, I'll just I'll just say as a, a giant disclaimer here, mm. I fall into the perfection trap all the time, and I think that's what motivated me to write a chapter about that and include it in this book. You know, this book about like how to craft tracks that brands actually want to throw their money at. Like that's mm. really what it is to shift the odds of music licensing in your favor. Well, you can't talk about the end result without talking about the process, right? I find myself in the perfection trap all the time and I think back to the years and years of not releasing anything even when we're not talking about sync right I'm just talking about expressing myself through music through the means of production collaborating yep. with folks some of my best friends and I never release that music and I'm yep. like damn bummer 
Bummer, right? Because yeah. of some ego thing that I had when I was younger, some hot-headed thing where it's like, ah, it's not, it's not ready yet. This is, this is technically a demo, even though like I went through hours of revisions and stuff. It's like, why is this still in the demo phase in my mind? You know what I mean? It, it really comes down to the this belief that that it's not good enough. It doesn't carry value. It doesn't hold any value. So if I release it, what's the point? Because I could just be investing my time and energy into something else that could be even better. When in reality, that's the reverse of how creating and releasing and sharing anything works, right? Yeah. 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 So, so I mean, you know, in terms of the perfection trap, for those of you who haven't read the book, it's basically the idea that, um, like you said, Adam, you know, when is it uh, when is it ready to be released? When is it ready to just be pushed off your plate, right? When is it good versus how much are you holding on trying to control this thing? And the, the you know, a little a little Star Wars reference here, you, you know, you, you grip it harder and it slips through your fingers, right? That's, yep. that's really, that's really the, the essence of the perfection trap here. And then you end up with a bunch of unfinished tracks and a hard drive full of them, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. I think about this a lot as an artist is just releasing music. Like you said, with your buddies and stuff, I've been doing this now where, I, you know, like I'm exploring these other parts of my artistry. I'm like singing, sure. I'm playing guitar and bass, I'm writing songs in a more traditional sense. I, in the past, I've been more of a composer where I'm like writing music for an 18 piece big band and releasing albums with the Adam Meckler orchestra and hundred percent, you know, now I'm like, all right, I'm doing these things in my home studio and I'm just going to put them out. I'm going to get my friends to play on them so that they sound nice. I'll maybe have a friend mix it so that it sounds better than what I can do. Um, but if I can't afford to have a friend mix it, I'll do it myself. And I'm going to put it out. I'm going to, I'm just going to put it out. Like I've, I've gotten to this place Matt, early on, I was like, I was always concerned about what people would think if I did a certain kind of music or whatever, and I just wanted to allow myself to explore these various different things and put it out without having it sit on my computer for forever, you know. And here, you know, go go ahead. Go, go, go ahead. I was gonna say, in terms of sync, I mean, it's like I imagine if it sits on your computer, it can't make you any money. So there's oh a, my gosh, you nailed it, dude. That's exactly what I was gonna come in with, man. So the the thing that really changed my mind about what good is versus perfect, you know, a lot of people will say perfect or good is the opposite of perfect or the enemy of, of perfect or perfection is the enemy of good what however you want to slice it they're they're two ends of the uh, of the spectrum right yeah sync is the thing that taught me that good makes you money and that's exactly what i say in the book good or good enough if, if it's just done right when you get to the point where you're like dude i've made three revisions and tweaks and i can't decide you're done you're you're done with the song like I, there are times where i would listen in my car and not be convinced it was done and i'd listen on a friend's pair of speakers i'd be convinced it's not done and you know just trying to change and change and change it's like dude some of my tracks that have earned me the most money a uh, you know subjectively may may not sound as, as good as i could i could have outputted you know what i mean yep um objectively they work for uh, a multitude of purposes. That's the whole point of sync, right? And that happened enough where I saw these tracks where I was like, eh, I kind of had to make that decision, you know, at the time. And I just kind of rolled with it. And then I finished the track and it's up. And what do you know? Uh, Old Spice licensed it. Whoops. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like awesome. you just have another, you have enough of those happy accidents where you're almost convinced. I was almost convinced that like, it's it's not an excuse to slack off and it's not an excuse to cut corners but it's a it, it's a reason it gives you a target or like a 
a container to create in right uh to to where you know if this thing is feeling exactly as i visioned it from the get-go you know by the end of it then it's done i have to move on because i need to create that opportunity for myself to learn from it so that i can open another door to another valuable song another valuable creation you know what i mean yeah i like that so when you're finished with a track uh and maybe it's one that wasn't prompted by a an agency or something. Somebody's yeah. n- nobody came to you. You're just like working on a track that you imagine could be used for sync. What do you do with that? Um, what do I do with it in terms of could, could you could you enlighten me just a little well, bit more? On what in you're terms for? of you know, if you're like a new person getting into sync, where the heck do you do you upload your tracks to a database? Do you do you shop it to somebody that uh, is a sync licensing agency uh that maybe would be interested in having music in their catalog what do you do with the music that you're finished with do you have you built up relationships over time i assume yes absolutely so um i have one primary relationship and that and that is with marmoset music okay okay there are a lot of I don't I don't want to say there are a lot of marmoset musics, but there are a lot of music licensing companies out there, mm-hmm. and they have you know if if you're new to sync, music licensing is basically white labeled music, and and what a white label means is there are there are products out there that like let's let's say shampoo right or skincare. There are white labeled skincares that are formulated a specific way that you can license and then slap your brand on it if you wanted. That un- unfortunately that's that's how a lot of products you know if you're walking through target or something that you know a lot of that stuff is is actually white labeled well this is essentially white labeled music Mm. you are writing music with a face but not necessarily with a um with a huge branded face you know what i mean um in terms of lyrical content or themes or whatever you want these these songs to uh, work for many different purposes a, a multitude of uses right so that that's kind of the primer there now all of these companies have hard drives essentially that house music stems, which are uh, you know the the tracks basically that if you were to put them together they would reflect or represent the final mix. Yep. Um, they they house these stems and these different versions so that video editors and music supervisors and uh, different people who are working on ad campaigns can edit them and move things around and if I don't like a saxophone I'm going to take out that saxophone you know and then we're going to pay this person for this music it's right. like that's exactly the the nuts and bolts of sync licensing so what I always tell people is when you're done with a song done right stay out of the perfection trap when you're done writing a song or producing a song, do everything you can to make as many assets out of it, right? And I, I go, I go into the in the book, I go into how to do that, which is basically, you know, if you can make if you have a full band song, um, then try and make an acoustic version of it. So you, yeah. now you have two assets out of one song, right? Right. Um, try and make a uh, instrumental out of it. Try and make a, a version of it with only background vocals. These are very simple concepts, but not so easy to to come across unless you've been in it for a while, right? Mm. And, and the whole object of this is to make it easier for you to get paid. That's the thing that I want people to, to understand is, is when you're creating these versions, when you're creating these alts, these alternates as we call them, mm-hmm. you're simply creating the opportunity for people to grab your track and go if if they need the they love your song and it has um a full band 
It has vocals. It has like a giant opera samples. Like I'm, I'm just pulling this out of the thin air, but they don't want the vocals. They just want the opera samples and the track. You already have that alternate available. You're going to get paid faster because it's there. You're yep. basically shifting the odds into your favor there. And that's, that's exactly what I recommend. So yeah, uh, on, on the back end, Yes, find these music companies. They all have submission pages. In the last chapter, I, I talk about, um, you know, there are a lot of people who are really gung-ho about approaching these people in very specific ways, networking, going to these events, going, you know, finding them on Twitter and DMing them. And I'm like, dude, first off, no. Like, do you do you <laughs> want to be DM'd on Twitter? Like, I, I that just seems so gross to me. Yeah. They all have submission pages set up just go there they they make these systems so that they can basically filter through all of these tracks hundreds and thousands of tracks every year so the only way to truly get in line is by submitting the correct way and that is doing it how they put you know with the system that they put in place so that's that's my advice there is make the song make a bunch of versions of it uh you know uh Print the stems also so that you can you can change it and customize it. Yep. And then approach these libraries in the way that they want to be approached. That's it's 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 a really simple process. But that way, um, when you're presenting these tracks, hopefully with a streaming link, not with a download. You know, they just want to click the email. They want to click and listen and review. Right. Hmm. Make it as easy as possible for them to get the gist of your music. You know, when you're when you're making. Uh, your pitch basically tell them what your music is about tell them what it makes you feel tell them the purpose of your songs right um if you have a song called rising up tell them that tell them why it's called that tell them the hook the most notable lyric that kind of thing do everything you can to be as clear and succinct as possible up front that way you just it's you just get in line it's 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 a it's a great system honestly i i I really enjoy it. I mean, un- unless you you already know people who are in the industry who may be able to fast track your your tracks into a catalog, that doesn't always happen. That's 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 kind of a rare case. But yep. go for it. Your you your opportunity is kind of what you make it in that way. Um, but I, I would say that you'll have no chance getting in a music library if number one you don't approach libraries in the way they want to be approached, and number two you're not crafting your music in the way that music libraries expect it to be crafted. That's really what it comes down to. Right. Right. So yeah, man, in the book, you, you talk about, uh, for structuring a track, you talk about setup, build and arrival. And I I spoke with the marketing creative director on the podcast recently who chooses music for ads and she's not a musician, but she'll literally just like go to the wave file and she'll look look for an interesting looking wave file. Like visually, she'll go like, oh, it drops off here and then it's a big boom here, or it's chop. It looks choppy. That looks interesting. And then she'll listen to it, which is why like that's such a wild thing to me. Um, but you know, thinking of it in terms of there being sort of like a drop moment and then a big kind of arrival moment. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you structure your tracks in that way, how you do the setup, build, and arrival, and, and how that kind of corresponds to ad making? 100%, man. Yeah, and I, I appreciate you using the terminology there. That's that's something that, um, you know, the, the setup, the build, and the arrival, you know, you're, you're, what you're talking about there is writing valuable stories, and that's really at the heart of Sync Beast, why I created it, you know, is, is um, I find that... Um, building and expanding a successful music catalog you know your 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 collection of licensing tracks right a successful catalog comes down to your ability to tell one 
specific story and tell it really, really well through your music. Mm. Okay. And it's it's the same story that you're talking about. It's it's the one I touch on in tracks that sink and one that I believe um yeah, it it really just adds so much, so much value to your uh catalog. So I call it the airplane story, right? Yeah. Um it happens in three stages the setup the build and the arrival like you mentioned and it always paints a picture of contrast that's what we're going for so just like what you just mentioned about the the music supervisor searching around you know using their eyes and looking at the waveform looking for a drop then looking for an explosion like that's contrast right yep so they're looking for a dynamic rise from start to finish so um you know to break to break this down a little more so it, so it's easier to understand Excuse me. <clears throat> in the first stage, the the setup, the we can imagine like the plane you're sitting in, like the 747, right? You're sitting on the tarmac. It's speeding down the runway just before liftoff, right? And the the twist here is that I always like to throw in is that there's some rain, like heavy rain and fog, that's giving you some anxiety before you lift off, right? Mm-hmm. You're kind of surprised that they even let you on the plane in this weather. Okay. <laughs> the second stage, the build is where you finally ascend right you get off the ground the wheels come up and you barrel through the rough cloud layer okay that's 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 when you usually are the most anxious you know if if you Mm -hmm. have flight anxiety the cabin is shaking and in the turbulence and you you really start kind of praying midair sort of thing i mean we've all done it but basically up and up and up until the third stage the arrival where you break through the clouds and you land on basically smooth airways the sun is shining it's blue skies you're over the clouds and it feels just so free and you're floating and you're cruising right Mm -hmm. it's it's this kind of vivid story that all of my successful licensing tracks tell to a certain degree okay and the thing that i love most about it is uh you could tell it in so many different ways by just tweaking the moods that you start and end with um or by by tweaking the character that's a really big one too so instead of a plane in your mind you might use like a tightrope walker or um, I don't know, like a little bird, like a baby bird learning how to fly. Right. They all tell the same story. They all have that same contrast there. There has to be this element of struggle and then mm. achievement at the end, tension and release. Yep. Um, so. So what, what you're talking about where they're looking through waveforms and stuff, those tracks happen to be built with that tension release, tension release, tension release. You know, it's it's mm. that concept that I, that I get into in the book. And I think that the structure works so well because brands only have so much time to tell a captivating story in their ads. You know what I mean? Yep. yep. Most, most ads we see are like 30 seconds. So how are you supposed to cram an entire character archetype into that amount of time you know what i mean like the reality is you can't so you really need to rely on the most powerful ingredient available which is emotional contrast um you really need to spoon feed that um i've learned that on the whole music supervisors want this like you mentioned uh video editors want this Mm -hmm. this is the story that sells so if they're telling it why shouldn't we as composers and producers and songwriters and artists why why shouldn't we tell that same story right and that is you know in in essence the 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 making of a truly valuable catalog right there yeah you know i've got some friends who are maybe slightly pessimistic and they believe that uh we're just getting oversaturated with music. We're getting oversaturated with music making the 60,000 tracks being uploaded to Spotify every day. Uh, Mm -hmm. 
and that sync licensing will be a much harder route to get work in the future. Do you feel that way as well? I mean, like to me, it feels like there's so much more media now uh, between you know social media and ads on social media. Maybe those are only 15 seconds, but these these are like their people are doing ad buys on social media, um, and then also with things like Netflix and and you know whatever prime and all these various different streaming uh uh streaming video sites uh, it seems like the opportunities for sync are more than they've ever been as well like where where do you fit on that uh, i mean you seem like an optimistic dude you've got a coaching program where you're kind of bringing other people up uh which i'd like to talk about too but how where are you at with this uh feeling of uh you know being inundated by too much yeah. music 100 percent, man I always think about, uh, you know, just as an anecdote before I give my thesis, uh, the uh, Artie Fufkin from from Polymer Records when they they book the, have you seen that movie, uh, Spinal Tap? Oh yes, yes, um, yes. Where they, where they it's book been the, a long time. Yeah, they they book the album signing or the whatever signing and no one shows up and his excuse is, oh, it was oversaturated. The the marketing was oversaturated. I always I always think of that. Yeah, so, yeah. Funny funny anecdote, but. Um, you know, I I really feel like we're entering into a new space of music licensing and in sync all together. You know, as you mentioned, new pieces of media are coming out. Um, it's 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 no longer one ad we're being fed on YouTube. It's two, and one of them you can't even freaking skip half the time. Yeah, you know? it's like, bro, I don't want to listen to this Google thing. Like, I get it, they're <laughs> tapping on the screen and they can't find their password. I understand, but I'm still, you know, it's it's like I get it. We're <laughs> over oversaturated, right? Artie Fufkin, Polymer Records. So, regular people who just want to be entertained by Netflix are getting wise to the cheapness factor when it comes to music. I, I really believe that. Uh, more than ever, I see a divergence happening in library music and production music where it's either really, really good or really bad. Like, okay. like really bad. And, and when I say bad, I mean there's, there's just something about it that feels um, clinical or stale. Mm -hmm. You get what I mean? Yep. Almost um, stock. Yeah, stock lifeless in a way that mm -hmm. can leave a scene in like a TV show uh, just totally like irredeemable, you know. So my best estimation, you know, if you want to frame this as like the, the future of sync, um, my best estimation is that we're going to see a major drought pretty soon here as far as your classic faceless library music goes, hmm. right? More and more, the world wants... Um, a tangible authenticity, a uh, a transparency. I mean, we we see it in the market with DeFi. We see it with TikTok. Yeah. The way that's evolving, uh, the branded world at large. Um, consumers are uh, essentially starved to feel something and to be sold something that identifies with them. They're they're starving for it. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. really, what it comes down to is identity. Who who am I? Why am I buying this thing? In terms of advertising, branding, sync, all that. Um, you know, it's it's identity based completely. As a as a modern music maker who wants to make money at this thing, you can't pass up the opportunity to feed them what they want, something real, right? Mm -hmm. um, consumers are not fake. That's really what it comes down to. They're real people, and fake music misses the mark completely. And we we see that every day. Uh, so, I don't want people to fall into the trap thinking that think is getting so saturated that anyone can write a track and get paid for it like that's really not what that idea is in reference to it's mm -hmm. not just as easy to say oh i just saw this ad on tv i got inspired so i'm going to write something like it and 
I'm going to make a, you know, I'm going to pay 15 K for it. Like it, it, that, that's not what I'm, what I'm getting at. You, you have to be, you have to be protective of your opportunity to break in here. Okay. That, that's kind of where the saturation is, is, is coming from. Uh, there's no better time or more accessible time. I should say right now to take a crack at writing real songs that tell a real story and offer real emotions that have the power to connect with people on a deep, deep level. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like that's, yep. that's really, that's really going to be the saving grace for this. Uh, yeah, this, uh, I don't want to call it pessimistic view, but you know, may, maybe pragmatic, I'll, I'll call it a pragmatic view because sure. uh, like with anything, things get o- oversaturated, things evolve. And then we, you know, we saw it with Facebook. We see it with just so many things. It, it, it's bound to happen. It's unrealistic to think it's not going to happen in music licensing. You know, so too too long didn't read. Less cheap, less fake, more real. Right? Yeah, that's, that's more where it's real. At. Yeah. So, what role does collaboration play in your track making? You talk a little bit about you know spending that extra hundred or two hundred bucks to get a real drummer on your track if you don't play drums or to get a real you know whatever for me like horn players you know i'm working on a thing right now um for a major sports media company and it's a collab it's a collaborative thing with two other writers and it's been really fun to just send things back and forth and i'm recording a bunch of horns and like we're all writing we'll, we'll all get writer credit for it um, and we kind of worked all that out beforehand. So what what role does that play for you? Dude, first off, I just want to say that that like fired me up. I'm so happy for you, dude. That's dude, it's, such it's a great huge, man. Dude. Yeah, it's huge. It's it's I don't do a lot of this. I do a lot of music making and so these opportunities have started to come, which is really cool. I, I wanted to get in this space. That's why I bought your book in the first place, but Hell yeah. I love hearing that. Thank thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's it seems like, you know, I'll I'll answer your 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 question in a second, but it sounds like the choice you made to just release stuff and just make stuff definitely had a play. The dominoes kind of fell to to this opportunity in a way. You could you could probably connect the dots, right? Totally. Totally. Sweet. Um yeah, so I mean, you know, let me fix my lighting here. It's getting a little gnarly. <clears throat> so authenticity, hiring people, collaborating, all of these big ideas that for a lot of us are big and scary. Um, we're creatives. We we make things in our own dark basement. I'm in a freaking dark basement right now in our bedrooms. You know, mm-hmm. I got I got my dog right next to me. Like that's my that's my comfortable space. Um, I've worked in a lot of studio settings. I've done a lot of really hard session work where things go wrong and you got to figure it the hell out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't thrive in that. So how how can I make sure my stress levels are low? How can I make sure my my cortisol is low? How can I make sure a big one here? How am I not spreading myself thin on all of this stuff? So while it is a workflow thing, it is a workflow hack, it is a auth- how to bring authenticity to the table when you hire a real drummer if you can't do it or a real pianist, but it's also like a health thing too. You know what I mean? So it's like this, I, I, I definitely mentioned this kind of holistic approach in the book, but like you can't stand to create your, your creative vessel, your body cannot sustain if you're not lightening the load somewhere. So I think, and I'm, I'm still testing this, you know, the, this theory here. But I think collaboration is a big secret sauce. It's a special sauce, the good burger special sauce, good right? Burger. For for <laughs> for sync, man. Especially music trying to tell a story, trying to reach somebody, trying to 
carry value like like we've just been talking about. Yeah. So um, it doesn't make sense. You know, you ask any. Um, I think it's, I think I mentioned this to some to some degree in the book, but you ask any multimillionaire, any uh, business person, successful business person who has built something, right? Mm-hmm. They have an asset that earns from them. They have people who work for them. They they earn money while they sleep, right? That well, that on a, on a on a different scale, that's what you're doing with your your catalog. You are the CEO of your catalog. If mm-hmm. you want to look at it like that, right? You're the CEO. Your tracks are your workers. I mentioned that in the book. You're you're creating little workers that earn for you on repeat. That is that is the point. So you can't possibly. It's it's almost like this mix between a vertical and a lateral move right you're vertical in that you're trying to like have project after project and build up this thing but in a way you you spread out you you have the choice to spread out by doing rock by doing acoustic by doing this indie thing by doing this hip-hop thing if you so choose Mm -hmm. but the thing that's going to get you there successfully is hiring people who are in each of those pockets but you because it's just unrealistic for you to be good and amazing at everything right Right. you can definitely hack your way through um i've i've tried it excuse me and it got to a point where i burned out i Mm. had to admit it i had to admit the burnout um and that came from a, a series of um licensing droughts um more so demo droughts where you're you're demoing on these branded briefed ads there was like a year and a half where i wasn't winning anything and i'm like why what is it am i just expecting too much of myself and it turned out i was Hmm. and when i started to flip the switch on pretty much every project that i did i really went all in on finding the things that i was remotely weak at and I, and I, I, I say weak, you know, that that's not directed at anyone if, you know, in a negative way, we're going to have strengths. We're going to have weaknesses. Yep. Okay. I'm sure for every weakness you have, you have three strengths. That's, it's great. I'm an optimistic guy. Uh, I'm also imperfect, right? Mm-hmm. I have to, as a creator who's trying to earn money, I have to, have to acknowledge that. So the sooner that I do, the sooner I can solve that problem and creativity, all it is <clears throat> is a form of problem solving you know some people say like oh well i'm not creative i'm not creative enough to do that i'm not creative enough to make that work that that kind of music well i bet you are if you just find the right collaborator if you just find the right person yep. to make that music with and stoke those flames and you can make that that vertical and that lateral move almost at the same time um but again i'm still testing this theory uh, to, to this day i i get a uh, collaborator on pretty much every single sync project, whether it's um, someone I've worked with in the past and I trust, whether it's someone that I'm bringing into sync that I, I just did a friend uh, a project with a friend who has never done a sync project before, hmm. but I love his voice. I knew it would work for this like kind of sad boy hip hop trap thing, you know, where it's yep. all singy over trap beats. Cool. So I brought him in on it, man, because it's like those opportunities are what opens up new doors. They open up new possibilities for my catalog they open up new possibilities for him and my my income his income you know it's just this all-encompassing idea and it all revolves around that idea of collaboration yeah i love that i've heard a lot of songwriters talk about how collaborating has really changed their whole their whole thing you know like in a really positive way 
um, enough that it's like it's clear that hey this is something that we should be doing more of uh, when we're making 100%. music so I'm really trying to do that too with my own music making uh, just great. just in terms of being an artist and releasing music but also in terms of sync uh, so I want to talk a bit about uh, sync B so t- tell me what this is I-, I didn't actually dive too much into uh, what you offer, uh, but I, but I, in the book, a couple times you're like, email me, reach out to me, like let's talk, whatever. Uh, let me help you figure this stuff out. Uh, so what, what do you offer through through Syncbeast to people that are interested in kind of gaining the skills of being a, a sync artist? Yeah, thanks, thanks for asking. Um, one one thing that I've been commended on, and I'm really thankful because I really aimed for this, um, is the not overselling Syncbeast mentorship one-on-one all of this stuff because that's basically what it is at the heart of it is people come to me to say you know what i need to learn how to do this i know there's a way to do it i can hear it i can't make it but i hear it Mm -hmm. you know so sync beast you know it it came for mother is uh necessity is the mother of invention right If, if it's not there and i need it i'm gonna you're gonna make it right so i didn't necessarily have it i had to cut my teeth for a lot a lot of years so that's essentially what i wanted to bring to the table was, um, you know, write the book that I never had, bring the mentorship that I, that I had to piece together from a lot of different people and a lot of different investments and stuff on my end. So, but the, 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 the big thing is through my mentorship and reviewing tracks from people and talking about, you know, that, that's why I put, um, my email in there is like, dude, email me your tracks, please. Like, you, it, just having someone to talk to about this is hard enough, you know, when you're trying to make a living, earn a living with with your music. So I notice a trend happening where where people get frustrated because they, like I said, they can hear that high value sound, but they have a hard time creating it. Mm-hmm. And that begs the question, well, what is a high value sound, right? Now, the cool thing is, this is the same question that I was asking when I saw though as i mentioned in the book those first royalty checks really coming in right i saw them and i was like okay first dollar signs in my eyes second mm-hmm. how do i repeat my success yep. right so it, it was really born from this digging around and an investigating that kind of illuminated this answer uh this reality for me as to why the majority of my tracks were not performing well okay mm. because those few sync checks that came in were just from a few tracks, right? And basically what I learned is it came down to three things, three attributes really. And it's it's the majority of my tracks that I were writing in my early days were aimless, nameless, and gameless, okay? That's that that's the overall message, okay? So they were aimless in that I was writing a lot of my tracks without a clear target in mind, okay? I wasn't going after a specific emotion or outcome, right? Mm. I would just hear something on TV and say, hey, I could make that, and it would essentially sit on the shelf, okay? So that's why they were aimless. They were nameless in that you couldn't really pair them up with any particular brand name. I remember in, I think it was from like 2014 to 2018, um, T-Mobile was obsessed with this like brash garage rock, most of the time female-fronted garage rock sound, right? Mm. Lots of lots of brands are still are. But T-Mobile was in particular. They loved it, okay? So I was I was listening to the way that music supervisors at Marmoset um, spoke about it and and that level of specificity. They they ended up giving it that T-Mobile label, right? The, we, that T-Mobile label that we're giving 
the garage rock, the the blown out, sun baked guitars kind of thing. It spoke volumes louder than just garage rock, right? Yeah, which effectively meant nothing in the context of value. So so there there's how I attached the value to it. Um, so aimless, nameless, and then my tracks were also gameless, and they they had no game. Essentially, they had no pulling power or magnetism. Yep. And they weren't stacking up against the sea of other tracks in the catalog, right? Yep. Uh, they didn't have the DNA that I speak about in the book, that, or they didn't play by the same rules or the principles that a lot of the heavy hitters did that I was listening to in catalog in, in the catalog, and I knew they were making a boatload of money, and that, that really frustrated me. So I'm in the fortunate position now to experience this realization like over and over again with my SyncBee students. I get to, you know, like real time, we, we have these, you know, um, these Zoom calls just like this where we talk and we talk about these problems. It's not always about like music theory. It's not always about how to get the best drum sound. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, why are you making this decision? Why are you beating yourself up over this? How are you collaborating with someone on this way? What are what are your pain points? Where where can you take your inspiration and boil it down into the highest value track possible with the principles that I've, I've laid out in my playbook? You know what I mean? I, I get to flip that switch for them, so to speak, and cool. reveal an entire science behind writing tracks that serve a purpose that have this intrinsic value and magnetism so that's that's kind of a long answer but but that's really at the heart of sync beast what i do why i do it and and how i do it with with these people who want it so badly yeah that's awesome so if somebody Thanks. wanted to uh reach out to you uh the book is tracks that sync if somebody wanted to reach out to you how would they contact you yeah 100 percent um so there are three ways you can find me. Um, you can find me bouncing around on on Instagram at syncbeast.co, S-Y-N-C-B-E-A-S-T dot C-O, syncbeast.co. Like Adam said, you can grab a copy of Tracks That Sync on Amazon. It's it's available for paperback, pretty pretty quick shipping. Uh, Kindle for like 99 cents. Try to price as low as possible for you. And uh, and on Audible now, we've got a, got a audio book. So I'd be nice. honored if you got that. Um, and you can visit syncbeast.co, www.syncbeast.co to subscribe to the blog for ongoing resources, posts, and uh, industry analysis. Uh, so you can basically, so you can stay at the bleeding edge in sync, uh, just to, you know, just to be a part of the community there, We're building a, building a, a sync community. So yeah, or you can email me at graham at syncbeast.co. I, I would love to, to hear from you. I'd, I'd love to hear some, some of your music. Awesome. Awesome. We'll link all that stuff in the description below. So check that stuff out. Check out Graham. Check out his book, Tracks That Sync. It was great. I read it. I'm going to keep working on the concepts. Graham, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me, man. This is awesome. Thank you again for having me today, Adam. I really enjoyed the conversation, man. All right. Yeah, you too. Take a walk out.